Blog Talk Radio. Do you believe that death is the end? Or is it just a new beginning? Does our soul continue to evolve? Or is it buried six feet under? Spiritual encounters and unexplained phenomena have intrigued people for centuries. But what if you could find the answer? Right here, right here, right now. Right now. Welcome to Heavenly Encounters. Heavenly Encounters. Where we will talk with everyday people who have had extraordinary experiences and gifted souls that see beyond the veil. Beyond the veil. Together. We'll diminish our fear of death, explore our soul's evolution, and soften the crippling grief that accompanies loss. Heavenly Encounters. You, our listeners, will discover a new world. A new world. A fresh reality. A fresh reality. Just a whisper away. Heavenly Encounters. So take a deep breath and join us on this fascinating adventure. This is Heavenly Encounters. Heavenly a journey to the other side. Heavenly Encounters. Welcome to Heavenly Encounters, a journey to the other side. I am your host, Mary Elizabeth, broadcasting from Chicago, Illinois. And I am your co-host, Janice, broadcasting live from St. Louis, Missouri. Well, we are back with another very interesting show, which very will involve prehistoric bugs. Absolutely, uh-huh. Ghost Horses, The Titanic, and John Benet Ramsey. So, Very you know, I've received, good. I've received a couple emails asking about the host's Heavenly Encounters, so we decided that's what we're going to do for this show, and depending upon how long we go, we may even go a second show. So we're going to talk about our slightly off-centered lives <laughs> and experiences <laughs> for all the world to hear. And Janice, I know you're a little bit more out there than me, but hey, you know what? You've got to start somewhere. Well, I'll promise I won't go out of body while you're talking. (laughs) Oh, that'd be a first. (laughs) The first, a reminder, we launched our Heavenly Encounters blog at heavenlyencountersblog.com, so check it out. I'm also, and I swear I would never do this, but I did it. I'm on Twitter at heavenlyradio1, and that's the number one. So follow me, and I will follow you back. Also, keep the emails coming, and tell us about tell us about your encounters at heavenlyencountersradio at gmail.com. So, you know, Janice, this kind of feels like a spiritual coming out party. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, it, it's something, I know you've talked about it a lot. You've been on a lot of radio shows, been interviewed by a lot of people, and I've kind of talked about snippets, you know, here and there, but I've never really talked about any of this really at any length. So I'm going to hand it over to you. Just take it away. Ask your first question. Okay. Well, um, it, I think most of the people are going to want to know how um, you started uh, your journey and what um, impacted you the most. I mean, what was that first time that you had that aha moment? Well, I, you know, some people start when they're young. Some people start when they're a little bit older. I started about 40 years old. 
and I was living in St. Louis, of all places, which happened to be probably the turning point, really, of my life. And, of course, that's where you are. But I was hanging out at Borders Bookstore at the bargain table, and I noticed a book by James Van Prague called Reaching for Heaven for $2.99. So out of whatever reason I was drawn to it, I bought it. And after reading that, it just absolutely changed my life. And when I really kind of look back at it, I was always kind of really, you know, I was really interested in the paranormal and magic. You know, I used to read uh, books like The Reincarnation of Peter Proud. I loved Mary Poppins because of the magic. So the interest was always there, but it wasn't really until I read that book where my life kind of took, you know, a right turn. So at the time, I was a marketing director for a fitness manufacturer, and the ad agency had just hired a creative director named Terry Hinkle, who actually was on a show about two weeks ago. Yes. And, you know, we just became really fast friends. We started talking about heaven, the paranormal, um, how the spirit world actually really worked, and, you know, most importantly, why were we even here? So a couple months after we met, he actually launched his radio show called Shadow Worlds. And, of course, I went to the live ghost hunts. I listened, you know, every week. And after a few months, he knew that I had this absolute love of angels. And he was going to have Doreen Virtue, of all people, on the show, and he asked me to come on and interview her. So can you imagine your first interview with Doreen Virtue, the queen of angels? Oh, yeah. She is a very (laughs) special person. Absolutely. So... And that went exceptionally well. My second thing that I was always fascinated by was past lives. And, of course, the second guest was none other than Brian Weiss, who had oh, been a wow. psychiatrist, you know, who had done past life regression. Not realizing it, he would regress his patients thinking about, let's take you back to when you were five, and they would go right. back to different lifetimes. And as you know, some may have psoriasis, and they may have been you know, burned in a fire you know, in a lifetime before that one. So I interviewed him, and after that, I just became a permanent host. So from, from week to week, now we were one of the only, I think, two national shows at the time. We were syndicated. So we got everybody, the who's who of the spiritual world. I mean, I interviewed everyone from, like, James Van Prague, Wayne Dyer, Eric Pearl, John Holland, um, you know, even kind of getting into the real paranormal, like Lauren Coleman. He was a leading cryptozoologist on Bigfoot and Chubacabras. Mm-hmm. So we really one kind of out there. Another guy has, uh, he wrote a book about the reincarnation of the Tsar of Russia, Peter, who was actually, his family was gunned down and killed. And he believed that he was the reincarnation of Peter and that he was finding almost all of his families in this lifetime. And of wow. course, my absolute favorite guest of all time that I interviewed with Shadow Worlds was, of course, Janice Yakopovic. Oh, my God. <laughs> And that, and that was how we originally, and that's how we started. You were on the show actually quite a bit, uh, talking really about vibrational was. healing and all that good stuff, and it was just one of those things. We became great friends and, you know, continued from there. But I think, I mean, that was kind of where everything started. When it came time to what really impacted me and make, made me kind of wake up, I think the first thing, you know, very, very early on I went to a psychic fair. I had never been to one before, but the very first thing I did is a Reiki session, which for me at the time, I had no idea what it was. You know, I had a couple of friends saying, hey, you got to do this. It's really cool. So I went to this woman, and she was just astounded. I was surrounded by like seven little angels, and they were just laughing and giggling, and they were so excited that I was getting energy work done. 
So then right after that, I went over to this booth that they were taking pictures of auras. So I was all green, which I guess that means, what, I'm a nature child, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I had a kind of like a halo of blue that went all the way around with these little white specks. And the guy that was actually taking the picture was telling me that, well, these are your angels and these are your spirit guides. So I went from obviously finding out I had all these little girls just laughing and giggling to actually being able to see them in a photo. So I think, you know, really what I learned just from that first experience, and I've carried it, you know, with me to this day, is that we are never alone. You know, up to that never. point. But what did that feel like that first time that you looked at it and realized it was real? Well, you know, I was an only child. So I spent so many years, you know, kind of by myself. I mean, obviously I had friends, but, you know, my best friends always seemed to be animals. We'd go on vacation or we'd go up to, you know, my parents' farm, and it was just me. So it all, all of a sudden it felt like I had, it wasn't just me against the world anymore. I mean, I had support. I had a place to go to ask questions. And, you know, as, you know, I learned more and more, I just realized that, you know, our angels, our guides, our ascended masters are just waiting for us to ask for help. I mean, they yeah. want to talk to us. They want to be acknowledged. They, they want to help us in any possible way they can, but they can't do anything until we ask. And That's that was a huge good. lesson. Yeah. Huge. I know for you, Janice, I mean, you've lived knowing that, I know, for most of your life. And I think it makes a big difference, especially, you know, during difficult times. Yeah, and a lot of times when we're raised, we're taught to pray, but not to really ask for help in the way that we need to be asking. And I think most of that, you know what I mean? Uh, Absolutely. That that is kind of a, a, a gift that we're given. And once you know, you can talk to somebody individually and ask for help, like if you need help in finances, you know? Right. Yeah, and and it's unfortunate that that's the way that we're raised. But your gift has always been being clairsentient. Right, uh, Right. I would love to hear the ghost. I'll get to that. Oh, okay. I have have a couple other things I just kind of want to shoot out first, and this is where this next story is actually where I learned that. So I do want to say one more thing, though. I sure. think prayer is so important, but I also think what really made a difference for me was meditation. Oh, because yes. until you can push that world away, until you're sitting there in silence without these thousands of you know, interruptions coming at you, you can't hear your guides or your angels actually talking to you. So throughout the years, it's something I practiced and practiced and practiced, and now I'm able to actually sit there with my guide and have a conversation, which as crazy as the world is, until you actually do that, you'll have a hard time really connecting, don't you think? Oh, yeah, but then, you know, once you get there, you you always want to be there. You always want to go back. Right, absolutely. So getting on to the next one is when I came to realize I was actually clairsentient. Uh, one of the coolest things that we did on Shadow Worlds were actually live ghost hunts. And it sounds kind of weird on the air, on the radio, but it's kind of like, you know, the whole theater of the mind. Um, uh-huh. So it was actually really pretty amazing. Plus, we had a camera crew that actually could, you could see the actual orbs with this camera that this engineer actually created. So it was really, it was a really amazing experience. But we had gone to this schoolhouse called the Milton Schoolhouse in Alton, Illinois. 
and it was being used for a warehouse. It had a lot of dark energy, which I was not really familiar with. Um, but it was really interesting, too, because they, they actually had angel figurines everywhere, and there was, like, angel stickers all over the floor. So my guess is it probably kind of balanced, you know, that dark energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, there was a young girl that was actually murdered supposedly in the bathroom, and they believed it was a janitor that killed her. So before he was arrested, the janitor actually had hung himself in the boiler room, and this happened actually, I think, probably around 1930, 1940. So prior to being on the air, we always did a walkthrough, and we brought a medium with us so she could actually communicate with the spirits before the show, get an idea of what was going on. However, she never said anything until we were actually on the air. So we all kind of came away with our own uh, conclusions about what had happened and where we felt the energy and who we felt was there. Anyways, as I walked through, somehow I just knew that she wasn't not only not killed by the janitor, but she also was killed in a different room and moved. I mean, I could actually feel this. It, it was a horrific energy in this one room, and I just knew that that's where she had been killed and she had been moved. So then on the air that night, the medium confirmed exactly what I had thought. And like you said, that's where I'd really come to realize that I was a clairsentient, which means kind of almost like a knowing. You know, I'd have conversations with people that knew so much more than I did, but they, they'd be like, well, I can't figure out this one thing. And then whatever it was, I didn't even know, it popped in my head. Right. And I would know the answer, even though I couldn't explain it. It's kind of like almost like a psychic intuition. And, you know, it's something that all of us have. It's just a matter of really listening to it. And, then of course, most people know about clairvoyance, which I really don't see a lot. But what can you explain, you know, what that is and what the difference is, Janice? Well, clairvoyance is a lot of times seeing things. You know, mm-hmm. it's like once your third eye becomes activated, sometimes like you, where you were saying that you could almost feel what had happened. A lot right. of people that are, are, are a clairvoyant will, will see it as a flash, like a short movie in their head. And it's okay. the same experience, only using a different, you know, part of, of your spiritual aspect. And then some people might be um, clairaudient, and it's the same basic principle, only they would hear it rather than see it or feel it. Okay, that makes sense. But, you know, I think what's interesting is that so many people have these gifts. And I know the visual is a little bit different, but the knowing or the hearing. I mean, I remember when I was 12 years old and my grandfather was in the hospital, and we didn't think it was very serious. And it was about 7 o'clock um, at night. I, was, I think I was in junior high. Uh, probably like 12 years old, something like that. And the phone rang. And immediately I knew that my, it was the hospital calling my grandfather had died. And my dad picked up the phone. They said that, you know, your, your father is not doing well. You need to come down here. So, you know, he rushes down there. Um, you know, he calls us once he gets there. And he had been dead when the hospital called. They just wanted him yeah. to come down. So it's, you know, it's things like that. You know, it's not getting excited when... You know, I interview for a job knowing I'm not going to get it. And people are like, gosh, you're pessimistic, but I just know. Or knowing that I am going to get it, the same thing. So that was really a huge, huge lesson for me from that ghost hunt. The second one was that after that, that, that particular ghost hunt, I just didn't feel like myself. And I had found out that this little girl, whose name happened to be Mary, had attached to me because she felt safe. And I also had another instance where another spirit, again, named Mary, also attached to me. 
So I had healers, you know, in both situations were able to detach and actually cross them over. So, you know, the funny thing is there's actually a house down the street from us, which is where um, the people that originally founded Crystal Lake, where I live, that was the property where they first built a home. And there have been different homes there since then. Well, there was a woman that actually lived there in the 1900s, also named Mary. <laughs> so oh, wow. I don't think I want to go in. I don't want to go in that house. But you know, there's so many people that are enthralled by this, and I am too. I really am. Um, but you know, when you have ghost hunt tours and you don't know how to protect yourself, this can happen very easily. And I can honestly say I would never go anywhere that had any dark energy again. I was, you know, too naive at the time. Now, I did protect myself during the night of the show. What I didn't do is when we did kind of like the preliminary walkthrough, um, I had forgotten to protect myself at that point. So it can be somewhat of a dangerous situation, don't you think? Yeah, and it and, and in that respect, it can be scary. Mm-hmm. And then what were some of the other ones? I know you did the ghost hunt. You did the Titanic yeah. also, didn't you? Well, actually, I didn't. I, I didn't, um, but this was another one of the most just really impactful things that happened. I was, again, this was before I was co-hosting, but I was very much involved. I would go to the ghost hunts. I would listen to the show. I did you know, all sorts of things. Um, but this one in particular, I was actually sitting at home listening to it on the radio, and they were doing a ghost hunt in the Titanic exhibit in St. Louis. And this is back when all the artifacts actually were the ones brought up from the ship. Today, right. they, they're not. Um, and one of the co-hosts at the time was a channel, so the passengers actually were able to speak through her. So the first thing that came in, everyone could just smell this really kind of pungent smoke. And the guy came through. He had gone down with the ship. He said his name was Major Archibald Butt. And, again, they didn't do a lot of research because they, they wanted to go, th- go to it a little blind. And it turned out, of course, that he was one of the passengers on the list. But the thing that really hit me the strongest, and I still – can't wrap my head around this, was that she brought through people that were still screaming in the water, children that were still crying for their parents. I mean, it was absolutely gut-wrenching. I mean, I think, you know, over 100 years ago, the ship sank. These people are still in the water, and they're living in this endless loop of agony, which I can't really understand. I mean, I know people have told me in the lesson but this is there is no such thing as linear time, that everything happens simultaneously, but I guess because we live in such a linear time, I just can't quite understand it, why they would still be in that water. Can you, you would possibly hope explain? that they would have by this time passed on and seen the light. I would have, I would have thought so, but this was, after, this was, what, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, and they were still oh, in the water. At, at least, at least. Yeah, so they were still there, and I know she was trying to cross as many people as she possibly could, and I know after they actually did the broadcast, she went back and did the same thing. Yeah. So, And that, and that kind of leads me to my, my next um, kind of very impactful thing that happened. And I know this was, you know, it was a tough day for everyone. It was uh, a 9-11 and the week yes. that followed. And at the time, again, I was still at a fitness manufacturer, but I was actually on my way to a photo shoot. I hadn't turned on my radio um, until that point, until I had gotten in the car. So I'm going down the major highway down to downtown St. Louis. I was stuck in traffic, and all of a sudden the first plane hits. And this was, it just kind of was like a War of the Worlds uh, reenactment. So I finally get to the studio. Now I find out that one of the models there, her sister worked across the street from the Trade Tower. 
She didn't know where she was, if she was at work, if she was okay, because at that point all the cell towers weren't working. Um, a customer's father was also in the plane that hit the tower. So all uh-huh. of this kind of hit close to home. Now, the same channel who was Joyce Owl, woman who was just phenomenal, um, who actually did the Titanic exhibit, for whatever reason, you know, she was stopping by every single day to talk about this. And every night, her, along with a group of psychics, would help the souls cross over to the other side. I mean, she said that there were just hundreds of spirits walking aimlessly, not realizing that they were actually dead. So, I mean, she even sent some people alive under the rubble, even though their heartbeats were really very, very weak. But, you know, there was, I'm sure, hundreds of of psychics and mediums that did that same thing. And the biggest lesson, there's actually two lessons for me here, was that one, it just really taught me that everybody really has a soul contract. And what she had said, and which I've come to believe to be true, is that everyone that perished in 9-11, had a soul contract to be part of it. So if you work there you were, and you weren't meant to go, you know, meant to cross that day, you're at a meeting or your alarm clock didn't go off. You know, we actually had a mutual friend of ours, Janice. She was supposed to be there in the shopping, the, you know, in the shopping mall underneath it at the food court for breakfast. And she, for some reason, said, wasn't comfortable going when she was supposed to go, so she changed her flight, changed her hotel, changed everything. Yes. Because she just somehow knew something was wrong. And I know it's hard to believe in those kind of instances that someone would actually agree to be part of this mass exodus of souls. But for the most part, a lot of these, even the Titanic, I would think, uh, would be a soul contract, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. When you, you get people that many people together and they experience something so horrific, that's normally what they say is that they are like all clearing karma for something that might have happened 5,000 years ago. And they all come now from different walks of life and get together once again. Right. And I think if, you know, you think back to that time, the result was that it really united the country, united the world. There was such an outpouring of love and compassion, you know, especially in a city where people, you know, at that point New York was known for people kind of keeping to themselves. They were a little bit rude, and I think, you know, through people that we know there, that that has really been, you know, forever changed. Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, and then it, and, it, it one, is, one of the things, like you were saying with Joyce, our woman, you know, and the difference between mm-hmm. the Titanic, you know, is the fact is that there's so many people were stuck in the Titanic. And they talk now about people going to see the um, the memorial to the 9-11 exhibit, and there's nobody left behind. Right, right. They've all been, I mean, they've been greeted with open arms. Uh, and the one what, thing, too, that was interesting. Thing. Right. And the one thing that was interesting, too, it's like every time she came uh, to the studio, which was actually in a very old building in downtown St. Louis, and this is a little bit off subject, but she would always hear music. And she would see people dancing in these big, you know, ball gowns. And we did some research on it, and we found out that that was actually, you know, a a dance studio back like in the 30s or something. Oh, my gosh. You know, again, it's like you've got all these multi-dimensions going on at the same time, and it just, you know, it's it's mind-boggling, especially for someone that's kind of new to this whole thing, because I've, I I still have a very very hard time, you know, understanding it. Yes. 
but but I think I would have to say probably the most powerful experience um, I probably ever had, and this is kind of a two-part story, but it's one I actually had um, about five conversations together with John Benet Ramsey after she passed, and this is kind of a kind of a strange story, but I was actually living in Los Angeles. I was working for Variety. And a girlfriend of mine was actually planning on moving to Boulder, some place that she's wanted to live her entire life. She had lived in San Diego. She wanted to go to the mountains and go skiing. So she was actually out there looking for apartments. And I was kind of helping her. I was online saying, hey, look at this one, look at this one. And she's like, well, you know, why don't you move out here with me? And I'm thinking, well, I'm kind of tired of L.A. What the heck? You know, I had never been to Colorado in my life. So it was, I think, like three weeks after I had talked to her. I quit my job, got out of my uh, apartment lease, and I moved out to uh, right outside of Boulder the first week of January 1997. And two weeks before that, on December 25th, is when the body of John Bonet was found uh, in the basement. So then fast forward, this is part two, kind of fast forward about five years, and believe it or not, I was actually back living in Los Angeles again. And I was friends with a very talented medium and channel. And one day I just had gotten this idea to write a book about unsolved murders and then have her solve them and then work with the police to, you know, bring whoever to justice. So in the first case, of course, I wanted to take on was John Bonet. Obviously with, you know, being out there right after this happened, it was just a media firestorm. And right. It right. was you know, in the paper every day. It, you know, it was just a really powerful story, especially, you know, if you lived there. And But anyways, unbeknownst to me, John Bonet had already contacted her and wanted to write a book before she actually reincarnated. And the channel was also working with the birth mother of who she was going to incarnate with. And I guess John Bonet had been talking to her for years. So that's all kind of like the planets aligned, and I started actually writing this book, and I interviewed you know, John Bonet through, through the channel. Mm-hmm. So. And the thing, it's just, it's a very strange experience. I don't know if you've ever, ever well, you've just connected right through, uh, but I never have. So, I mean, to do this, the channel actually steps back, and she allowed John Bonet to actually come through. So I think I talked to her about five different occasions. I mean, we covered a lot of just horrifying, horrifying details, which I'm not going to talk about. But what haunted me the most was this, and this is, I'm quoting John Bonet verbatim. I knew that you would find me there, Mary. When you were there, it made it safe, and I understood. I didn't know it on a conscious level, but now I can see it, that you were holding my hand through the dark, dark moments of my life. So what, after, the, after she was killed, she did not cross. She was terrified. She was in hiding. There was this dark energy that was really kind of out to get her. And yeah. we had yeah. known each other in other lives. So she reached out, I assume, to my higher self, I mean, I don't know because I wasn't even on this spiritual journey back then, but that was the reason why I moved to Boulder so abruptly. I mean, I had no idea. This came out of the blue, and for me to say, yeah, let's move, not even having lived there was kind of, you know, kind of crazy. So, what an incredibly beautiful thing to find out later, you know, how you helped somebody, a higher soul to higher soul, and not even being conscious of it. Right. Well, the irony is, is that, well, you know, I've been just, you know, I would wake up one morning and be like, I have to move to Las Vegas. You know, every two to three years, it seemed like I moved. My friends thought I was crazy, 
but I guess there was probably a reason unknown to me, you know, why I did. And I think for me and for, I think, a lot of people, the lesson in this would be, you know, if we are called to do things by spirit that might not make any sense, uh, but yet it may have a higher purpose. So we may never know the reason. We just have to really trust our guidance uh, that the universe that God, you know, knows best. Right. And I've been told on many occasions that for whatever reason, I hold the energy for other people. Yes. And obviously this was one of those times that I did. And it's, you know, we've, the thing that made me the happiest was that, you know, during the entire time, the five years, she she was kind of trapped. She was too afraid. And we actually helped her cross. Oh, that and is so she did. Good. And the, also the interesting part of that, too, is she was... Again, this goes back into uh, the reincarnation kind of soul fragments, which we have talked about briefly before, but she was actually a soul fragment of Marilyn Monroe. And one of the times that she showed up, she was also, quite a few times actually, she would be actually holding on to Abraham Lincoln's hand. Oh, my God. And who Abraham Lincoln reincarnated as was John F. Kennedy. Yes. So think about the relationship there then with JFK and with Marilyn Monroe as well. Yes. So it's, you know, there's, I don't know if you've seen these things going around Facebook about all the similarities between the two, about just dates and times, and they actually were. Because think about the, the breadth of knowledge you carry, you know, in a lifetime such as that, and why would you just throw that away? So it actually makes a lot of sense. Right. And then, uh, you know, there's no such thing as coincidence. No, no, not at all. We may not understand it, but there is no such thing as coincidence. Right, absolutely. So, and there's a lot more to that story than that, but that is um that's the thing that really out of everything in the book that I did write, we never did publish it because we were basically told by um what's his name? Um it's one of actually O. J. Simpson's lawyers, uh Shapiro, that we'd probably get sued, so uh we did not publish the book, but I just just to know that we helped her helped her cross and made her feel safe, you know, that was enough. Yeah. So, so next question. Well, I was going to say there was a little cat that I came and stayed with you one time <laughs> who did not like me oh, at my all. Oh, gosh. And yeah, so no I understand <laughs> I would not want that cat to come and see me, but I understand that uh, she comes back and sees you. And she I does. She's, she's like five pounds of pit bull. <laughs> I know. I know. And for, for people that were with us when we did our first show, I mean, that cat did not like me so much. I had to go in another room and shut the door <laughs> so we could actually talk. And we're in two rooms in Mary's apartment talking back and forth to each other because that cat would not let me anywhere near Mary. <laughs> uh, you know what? She was kind of a feral cat. My parents had um, a farm up in Wisconsin, and it was this itty-bitty little thing that came out of nowhere and it was February in Wisconsin her mom was hit by a car and she fit in the palm of your hand and this again is divine intervention and 
when there's no such thing as coincidence. And she just started, you know, wrapping herself around my mom and dad's legs and would not leave them alone. And they just, you know, fell in love with her. And they called me up one day and said, you need to have another cat. And I was living <laughs> in Los Angeles at the time with Nicole, which I don't, I think you've met her too. Uh-huh. And they brought her out to me and it was just a really, truly amazing experience. Um, she played quite a few roles. I mean, my first cat, however, was a little bit different. So I get, I'll get back to Kaylee, your best friend, here in a second. Uh-huh. <laughs> but Nicole was actually, you know, she had passed away when I was living in Denver, you know, outside of Boulder. And then I had moved to St. Louis. And I was, I don't know what I was doing. I think I was putting laundry away or something else. And I, all of a sudden I turned around and I saw Nicole lying at the foot of the bed. She was just crystal clear. And my first thought was like, oh, my gosh, my dead cat. My first thought was, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad that she found me. Yeah. And then when Kaylee passed, I would just, you know, I didn't see her as strongly. I would see this blur. And actually my husband Joe saw her more than I did. But I could always tell because my current cat, Elsa, would sit there and just stare in the middle of the room. And she was not a big fan of hers. Uh, either. <laughs> she, was a boss, she was a little bossy cat. <laughs> oh, my but, God. And my parents, you know, they see their cats, too. So I was told by actually, a, a, I think, a psychic that, you know, talks to animals that Nicole was some kind of Egyptian royalty and came across as this, like, golden cat, and where Elsa wasn't. But she's, I guess she's still here quite a bit. I don't think she's here as much as she used to. Um, come over here, but she decided that she didn't want to cross her way. She was having way too much fun and just who knows what the heck she's doing. Maybe she's coming over to visit you, Janice. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know. <laughs> I don't know what I do about that, you know, but maybe oh, no, maybe she now she likes me better. Maybe now that but... she's in the light. But that was the funniest thing from the time I walked in that door. That cat started hissing and spitting. <laughs> and and normally I home. get along so well with She was so an itty-bitty well thing, it. too. I know she was. And normally I get along with people's pets and that because, I, right. you know, I have my own pets and you, know, you just love animals. But there was something between us, and she took one look at me, and it was like, what are you doing in my house? (laughs) Well, I have to tell you, though, when I lived in St. Louis, there was a problem with my thermostat or something, so one of the repair guys came into the apartment. Well, I get this call like two hours later saying that uh, that, uh, Kaylee was there, and she was afraid of him. Again, he was afraid of her because she was doing the same thing to him that he did to she did to you. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she's an itty-bitty thing. She looks like she's a six-month-year-old cat. She was kind of stunted because she was so sickly as a baby. Yeah. So you're not the only one. A grown man was afraid of her too. But I have to tell you about my real first ghost experience I didn't even know was a ghost experience. And I finally realized it 30 years later, oh, which is really wonderful. odd. So my friends make fun of me, but I was like 19 years old. I'm driving through Barrington Hills, which it has these mega mansions and 200-acre horse farms, and it's rolling, and it's just like one of the you know, richest counties in, in the United States, actually. We didn't live there. I was just driving through it. <laughs> so anyway, that's about 
4.30 a.m. on a winter morning, and I could never figure out why I couldn't see. I finally realized that my dad would always position the headlights so they kind of like went into the ditch. So I never could see what was in front of me. So all of a sudden, I'm with this guy that I carpooled with. He's sleeping, and I see this huge horse just darting out in front of me. I mean, it's like right in front of me. This guy has like this vintage riding suit on, very upper crust, and just darting right across the road. So I slam on my brakes. I'm going sideways, just ice in the road. How I didn't end up in the ditch, I have no idea. This guy is freaked out, screaming at me, what in the world is going on? And I couldn't explain it. I mean, I saw a horse in the road. And, I mean, I can't tell you the number of horses I've seen in the road. And I would tell my friends only because, you know, I thought one day I'm actually going to hit a horse and the cop's going to say, why didn't you stop? Yeah. But I... For some reason, I see ghost horses. Wow. So I assume that someone had crossed and they just returned or didn't cross and just, you know, was doing what they loved best, and that was riding the horse. Yes, and it happens a lot, especially if it's something I know. One of the things that they say the people see the most is the Roman army. Really? Yes. That you know they'll huh. be at a at a stop sign or something like that, and everybody will be stopped, and the Roman the Roman soldiers will walk by, and they can see them and they can hear them, and they just disappear into nothing. Oh my god! And gosh. most of the time, it's more than just one person; it's a group of people. But I think that that is considered to be the most um, uh, the most prolific, you know, of hmm. of all uh, visions that people actually do see. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah, there's only, thank God there's only one of them, not a herd of them, but it's, no, I still see them, though, so it's really kind of odd, but... Did you ever again, try to look up and see if that guy actually lived there in a past, you know, you know I, in a... I didn't. I mean, there is a huge, it's, I mean, it's probably one of the largest horse farms in the state. The The guy that actually owned it used to own Arlington Race Park, and there was probably... At one point, there were probably at 100 horses out there. And I don't know, but if I had to guess, it was probably right in that location. Right. So I don't know if the person was, you know, killed riding a horse or if he just, that's what he loved to do. So he was out riding his horse. And I have no idea. But the thing was, is it didn't even dawn on me until this was not even maybe 10 years ago. It's like, holy crap, that was a spirit or a ghost or what energetic imprint, whatever it was. I mean, it just finally right. hit me that that's what that was. Yeah. So very strange. Well, my third experience is weird too. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I don't talk about this stuff very much because it's just kind of strange. But this one happened in Venice, California. I had just started, you know, the radio show Health and Harmony, and I was going to lunch with who was going to be my co-host. He was a personal trainer. He wasn't of the spiritual world at all. So we were at the restaurant, The Rose, which has this beautiful patio. It has 50 tables, you know, set up. And we're there having some water and drinking, you know, ordering our lunch. And all of a sudden, I see this huge bug. I mean, it's like the size of a hummingbird. It's like at the far side of the patio. And talk about my knowing. I just knew it was going to come right at me. And sure enough, here comes this bug. And it's going in between tables in people's line of sight, and no one is moving. No one's looking at it. No one's turning around. And this thing's big. It's like purple and green and flying. And so it's coming over at me. I'm laughing hysterically. I'm under the table with a napkin on my back. 
and this thing is trying to, it's hovering. I've never seen a uh-huh. bug hover. And it's trying to land on me. So anyways, my friend doesn't even want to get near me at this point. He's laughing hysterically. He's trying to flick this thing off with a napkin from like four feet away. People are looking at us. We're making a total scene. They think we're nuts. So finally this thing leaves. It flies again between the tabletops. No one even looks. I mean, he calls me the next day. It's like, did that, you know, am I nuts? Did that even happen? I mean, it did. Yeah. But it's like, am I seeing rips in time? Am I seeing different dimensions? I mean, I looked, I mean, for hours trying to find this bug on Google. <laughs> I, never, <laughs> I never found it. So I don't, I don't know. Did you look on the prehistoric? I did. I even looked it up again before the show trying to see if I could find I actually put a, a picture on the slideshow. It wasn't what it really looked like, but it was somewhat of a prehistoric bug. Yeah. It just kind of freaked me out. It's like, how? why am I seeing this and nobody else is seeing it? It just doesn't even make any sense. So bugs and horses, those are my stories, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> and you're sticking to it, huh? Well, I and am. I really I think that a lot of times, you know, that unless, like you say, you meditate and you become aware we probably have things that go past us all the time that we just don't see. I would think so, yeah. I mean, I remember uh, Joyce, again, our woman, telling me that, like, in St. Louis, there was this rip in time where she would walk through and she would see uh, dirt roads and she'd see covered wagons, and it was like the old wild, wild west. Mm-hmm. And I still can't grasp that. How can everything be happening at once? It just doesn't make any sense to me, but I know it, you know, I believe it does, but I just don't quite get it. So yeah. I know more people see things than, I mean, I don't want to see dead people walking around. I, I really, really don't. I mean, that would not be a yeah. pleasant experience. I mean, people call it a gift, but I don't know if I'd classify it as a gift, <laughs> to be honest. I know. Well, I had a very good friend that used to, uh, well, you remember, Ed, you know, he used to help uh-huh. the police out. And, um, uh, it really used to bother him, you know, and that's what they would do. It was a group of psychics that they would go out and look for the bodies. And right. he said the hardest thing that he always had trouble with was children. And oh, my gosh. And the last gosh, time absolutely. he ever did it, he was, he was out looking, and he raised his foot, and he stopped, and the detective said, mm-hmm. what's wrong? And he turned to the detective and he says, if I put my foot down, I will be putting my foot down on this child's skull. Oh, my and gosh. He turned around and said, please don't ever call me again. And he walked away. And when right. they brought in, you know, to dig it up, that's exactly where he was buried. Oh, my gosh. But it it bothered Ed to the point where he he wouldn't go out and do it anymore. And he said, especially the children, it used to get to him where he just could not get over it. Right. Well, we have a. So I'm like you. That that I I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to see any of that either. No, no. But you know, I've got to say, out of everything that I've experienced from you know my entire life at Milsey, from like 15 years on up where I've had mostly the more the rapid the rapid journey was really I think the most profound was actually really interviewing and talking with souls that have crossed to the other side. Again, it's you know, it's not like a medium that just relays the message. You know, they're stepping back and you can just feel that energy. You know, the first of course was John Bonet. 
to be talking with her was just mind-boggling. I mean, you you can feel her fear, her sadness, her joy. But, you know, as I also um, had talked about before was that I, you know, I co-host an absolutely amazing show called um, Manifesting the Miraculous with Mother Mary and the Masters. And the channel is Samara Riley, who is just absolutely, absolutely amazing. So I have the opportunity to talk with Mother Mary quite a bit, both on the air and off the air. And in the recent months, I've also talked to like Princess Diana, Steve Jobs, you know, Mother Teresa. And it's it's just very, very strange. Here you have these icons, and you're able to actually talk with them, you know, from the other side. But, you know, that was really the inspiration for this show and that there is no such thing as death. You know, it's just a transition from one room to the next. And exactly. some people are just gifted, you know, such as yourself, that you're able to see them or hear them, you know, or really communicate with them. You know, yet, you know, from early times, people have been burned at the stake for doing, you know, that, for actually doing that. And even today, they're, you know, ridiculed and they're called a fraud or worse that, you know, by a lot of religions, they believe they're the devil themselves, but it really is truly a gift that we all do have. Oh, absolutely. And like we talked about starting the show, that a lot of times people hold these beautiful experiences in, in their heart and they go through their whole lives never sharing them. And, you know, how how advanced we would be if everybody just looked at it and realized that the metaphysical was part of science. It was, you know, it's part of the invisible. God created the visible and the invisible. And there was, you know, there was nothing really odd about it. I mean, I think of all of the the people like Einstein and Tesla and stuff like that, who you know, you know had to be intuitively connected to something in order to accomplish what they were doing. Or Da Vinci. Oh, absolutely. Well, you think of Da Vinci and Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Edison. How did they invent what they invented? I mean, that that came from the source. They showed them, granted, you know, Edison may have tried a thousand different ways to, to make a light bulb, but he was guided by a source, by God, on how to actually do it. I mean, it was all channeled. So you know they had to have that communication to be able to do that. Absolutely. And it is sad. I mean, it's just, there's so much, there's still even today, there's so much ridicule. I mean, you know, James Van Prague went through it when he had his show. John Edwards went through it. And now the same exact thing's happening with the Long Island Medium. I mean, I haven't watched her show. I can't tell you whether she's authentic or not, but they're doing the same thing to her that they've done with everybody else, just saying that she's a fraud. Yeah, And I just, I can't believe that mentality. I just don't know if they're trying to take away people's power and not you know, thinking, well, gee, you know, why, why can't I do this? Or maybe my intuition is also something that's a gift. I don't well, know. I don't I really understand there are that. probably a lot of people that do that see what happens to these people and don't want to have to go through that. You know, the public ridicule, you know, uh, having people take your picture and put it in the paper and and make rude comments or something like that. You know what I mean? They probably just, you know, they they do it on their own. They keep it to themselves and they use their guidance, you know, for their own spiritual journey. And it's really a shame because some of these people are extraordinarily gifted. We've got da Vinci's walking around today. And people that are great healers, you know, Edgar Casey's that are walking around today. And it's just so very, very sad that when you see 
people with these God-given gifts that don't see them as God-given gifts and potential, but look at them as something that they have to hide. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I do really do think that the tides are turning. I mean, media is part of kind of like the corporate machine. So just because you've got a select few going after you doesn't mean that the majority believe that. And I know that so many, you know, people are seeking out psychics and mediums and channels and looking for guidance. I mean, it's turned into a very healthy, you know, kind of industry. And I'm sure there's people that aren't doing what they say they're doing, but, um, that's what they have to deal with. There's a lot of people in integrity, and that's truly what their gifts are, and they are helping hundreds and hundreds of people as well. Yeah. Well, of all of the experience that you've shared with us, mm-hmm. which one do you think was that affected you the most profoundly? You know, I would say probably what I just mentioned, but there is also one other, um, because I never felt that I had... You know, not to say I don't have any gifts, um, but I never felt like I had psychic gifts. Granted, I kind of had this knowing and good intuition and guidance, but I never would have, I can't possibly put myself in a category as a psychic or a medium or anything else. Um, So one thing I did very early on when I was actually in St. Louis is I took a class on something that was called the Akashic Records. And for people that don't know what that is, it's almost like an encyclopedia of your soul. It's a course that you take, you do it through a prayer, and you're actually able to access it almost like a library. So you can talk, you can go back and find out what your past lives have been, ask questions about your past, present, future. And it was actually a way for me to really get a lot of information. I mean, I was always very intrigued about, you know, past lives. So I was able to see quite a few lives that I had. And at the time, I would sit with, you know, like Terry Hinkle and his wife, and we would compare. We'd be in the same room and say, well, to the left here are some benches, and over here is this thing buried underneath the floorboards. And we would be getting exactly the same thing. So I kind of felt like it connected me um, more to my higher self, and to to teachers um, that were on the other side by learning how to use the Akashic Records. Oh, that kind is like a- great. So it's like opening up a channel to the, uh, to the other side, to the intuitive part of your soul. Right, right. And the biggest thing I found was that, and I think this is the, the biggest thing for anybody when they start off on their journey, is learning to trust what's coming through. I mean, I've always been creative. I've been a writer and always came up with all sorts of things. So it was at first, and it still kind of is sometimes, really hard for me to believe that I'm not making this stuff up. Is that yeah, like I'm really talking to me? And it's still, you know, I guess I, then I ask, well, I have to ask, does it resonate with me? Is it me? Is it somebody else? Um, and it's, you know, it's still a little bit of a struggle, but now I know to really, to really, trust it because it is going to be a whisper occasionally it's a yell or a cosmic two by four but for the most part it's usually a whisper yes it normally is and now that you're married and and on our first uh-huh. show our your our guest was your husband talking about his beautiful experiences do you think that you affect each other now since you both got a gift that you share that it's kind of a two-way intuition, or do you feel that you've kind of helped him open up and realize some of the gifts that he's had that he's not known before? I think I've given him an... I mean, there's nothing you can say to me that's weird, 
because I've heard things that are much, much weirder. <laughs> so <laughs> I think for that, I mean, some of the things from some of the shows we did that there's, you know, buildings on Mars that the the moon is hollow and it's a space station. I mean, I've just, I don't know. Some things I, I don't believe everything, but I will listen. Yeah. Um, so I think I've given them an opportunity to be able to actually really talk about these things. You know, so we've really helped each other a lot. He has many more experiences, um, you know, out-of-body type experiences than that than I do. Oh, that's and, great. But I think what I've helped him with is, one, with his intuition. I mean, he'll be working. He's a carpenter, and so is his dad. And all the time he'll hear his dad saying, just stop it. You're being too, you know, if you do that, it's going to rip off, you know, rip off part of the drywall. And sure enough, he tries to be perfect, and, you know, half the drywall gets ripped off. Uh-huh. So he's learning to follow his guidance, I think, more. And it's, you know, it's nice, obviously, to have a partner like that, that you can have those conversations and see where their overlap is, because he is very a devout Catholic. And there's, you know, many ways to interpret different things that are really one of the same. So yeah. it's, it, has been, it's, it has been a wonderful experience. But I've taken up the whole show. <laughs> well, that's good. And uh, you probably could take, talk another three hours with all the experiences and everything you've had. Well, I think we could probably do a whole, a whole season on, on you. So I think what we'll do is for the next show which will be on Wednesday, June 25th at 7 p.m. We will be talking to Janice and her heavenly encounters. But the thing that's so interesting with you, obviously, you know, I kind of have one little foot that's dabbling in the spiritual world where you really kind of live there. You know, you have such an amazing relationship with your spirit guide who is named Senmet. He's an ancient Egyptian temple healer. Yes. And so we're going to hear all about that. Give us a little preview of what you want to talk about. Well, you know, Senmet was with me since birth. And then I've realized now in going back that we were married in ancient Egypt way before pre-dynastic Egypt in a place called Memphis. or so Menifer was the ancient Egyptian word. Right. We were married then and we did the same thing that we're doing now. We made healing oils together. And then finally when, you know, it became really apparent of who he was and you come to that point that God tells you what you came back for, and that was that uh, my gift was to be a healer, and he Mm -hmm. gives me the recipes that we made together in ancient Egypt, and I replicate them here. And so I've always considered myself like, you know, people will call themselves mediums and stuff like that. Right. I've always called myself like a scribe because mm-hmm. it's like sitting at the feet of a master and just taking notes, you know, if I were right. making an oil for you. You know, what are the oils? What are the stones? What are the essential oils? What are the prayers that need to be said? You know, how does it need to be blessed? And so I look at myself more of a scribe of a lifetime that I lived. And the two things that I remember the most is that I was happy and I was loved. Right. And just so people understand what Janice is saying, she takes recipes that were used 6,000 years ago for pharaohs and priests and priestesses. She has brought them through to this current time and creates the oils and sprays, one of which happens to be Senmet's Blue Lotus Spray, which I must spray on myself about five, six times a day. It's just, it honestly feels like it is from another realm. So we are going to be looking forward to that show in a couple weeks. Oh, I'm looking forward to it too. 
Absolutely. Well, let's, I think it's time to go into illuminations. 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 It's time for illuminations. illuminations. Food for your mind. Okay, Janice, what do you have for us today? Well, um, it is actually a quote from Helen Keller. Everything Mm -hmm. has its wonders, even darkness and silence. And I learn whatever state I may be in, there to be content. Wow. And considering the person that she was and the challenges that she had, that is a very profound statement. Yes. Mine is from, I I started off with them, so I'm going to end with them, and that's James Van Prague. As a spirit having a human experience, you can choose to not merely exist, but to be fully conscious and aware of living in a limited world. When you take a conscious part in life and its multitudes of choices, you won't let life happen to you. You will make life happen for you. And again, that was James Van Prague. I like so, that. Thank you, Janice, for another fascinating show. And thank you to and our thank wonderful you listeners. For sharing with us all of the, the beauty that happened and and uh the the things that impact you and hopefully uh you will get a lot of phone calls and everything from people yeah. who have probably gone through the same thing. Well, I tell you my goal or my intention is to get more into my authenticity. You know, there's so many conversations I have with some people that I don't have with other people, uh, depending upon who they are and what, you know, little segment of my life they fit into. And I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. So it's the same conversation. And as I've had those conversations, most people have had those experiences, which is the whole reason why we're actually doing this show. Absolutely. So I do want to remember, people, we really, really want to hear your heavenly encounters. Um, yes. You know, you don't have to be on the radio. We'd love to have you, but just sharing them often is such a huge kind of burden that is that you can let go of. So please email us at heavenlyencountersradio at gmail.com and also check out our new blog at heavenlyencountersblog.com. And again, I am now on Twitter at Heavenly Radio One, and that is the number one. So until our next show, be inspired, be empowered, and be well. You've been listening to Heavenly Encounters, a journey to the other side. Good night. Good night.